Welcome to Live on Purpose Radio with Dr. Paul Jenkins, where you will hear inspiring stories of ordinary people doing extraordinary things. Feed your mind with a regular dose of positive energy and show up for your life every day on purpose. Living on purpose means that you have a purpose and you do it intentionally. And now, here's your host, Dr. Paul. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Live on Purpose Radio. This is Dr. Paul, the shrink who expands your life with another episode of Live on Purpose Radio. And joining me today is another shrink. Uh, This is one of the leading psychologists in Australia. His name is Andrew Fuller. He is an author. He's um, had, had an amazing career where he's been able to interview thousands of people to trace some of the most common identifiable stages of life. And I think we'll talk about that a little bit today. His book is called Your Best Life at Any Age. Andrew Fuller, welcome to Live on Purpose Radio. Dr. Paul, I should say a warm g'day from Australia. (laughs) G'day to you. And maybe I should call you mate. I don't know. We are. That's right. (laughs) <laughs> Maybe there's a, a qualification process by which we get to that level of our relationship, but I feel like we're mates already. <laughs> and I'm happy to have this conversation with you. Uh, Andrew, you've done quite a bit of thinking and interviewing and looking into uh, the content that, that brought about this book of yours, Your Best Life at Any Age. And you've noticed some patterns and some stages. Tell us, if you would, a little bit about why, why you're so interested in this topic. What is it that lights you up about this? Sure. Um, I started out my career in psychiatric crisis teams. So I'd be on bridges and in seed situations with people in the darkest hours of their lives who are looking rather gloomily uh, at, at their future. And that really got me fascinated in how you stop people getting to that point of their lives. And that led me to really think about this concept, of course, it's well known now called resilience, mm-hmm. but also to start to unveil really are there times in all of our lives where not only times of opportunity, but times of where we perhaps face some challenges that are unexpected. So I often think life is an improvisational art. And so you have to keep shifting yourself as you go through life, in a way, that's how we grow and create a greater, you know, more purposeful life, in a way. So, and it's an ongoing process. It's not that the job's done and we can then cut down tools and and give up. We have to kind of reinvent ourselves throughout our lives. And so that then led me to basically start to ask people in workshops to map their lives. And so it was a very simple process, really, a, a vertical axis of sort of zero to 10, which is, you know, how happy you've been in your life, and then a horizontal axis of the years of your life. And I started to collect these. In fact, I continued to collect 500,000 of them. And I would sort of sit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's a half a million, by the way, we count. <laughs> Yeah, it was sort of astonished me too. And I'd sit back and kind of start to analyze what was going on in these lives, really. And it fell roughly into a pattern that I wasn't expecting, really. I didn't set out with this in mind, but 
people often spoke about roughly that old idea of about every seven years you get an opportunity to reinvent your life. Now, obviously, not every life is that neat, of course, but we're not going to be silly about it. But at the same time, thinking about uh, roughly about every seven years, you get a chance to reconsider your life, I think, and to repivot it, if, uh, if, if you will, and become possibly a, a different version of you. And so not that you necessarily need to wait eight, uh, seven years to do it, but it seemed when I looked back on all of these lives, that it was helpful to look at life in about seven-year slices and start to consider what might be required of you at different stages of that process. Mm. You mentioned challenges, and you also used the word resilience. I know in your book you've got a graph that, that charts challenge against skills, and when those meet up, you're resilient. In other words, you've got the yeah. skills necessary to meet the challenge. I think I understood that correctly from your from your model. Um, yes. So part yes. So part of that research is that there are three major mindsets. There's an anxious one, an avoidant one, and a resilient one. And we all, yes. we've all had experience of all three. I think so. We've had days. I think everyone's had this where your challenges exceed your skills and we topple into anxiety. I've got so much on, I don't know where to begin. I've got, I'm overwhelmed. Mm. There are days also, I'm sure, where our commendable attributes, our deep intellect and our quirky sense of style are not fully appreciated by other people. Hard to imagine why, but sometimes it does happen. A lack of discernment on their part, I suspect. But we tend to become a bit avoidant. What's the point? Nobody listens to me. Nobody cares what I think. Why should I bother? But the, there's a sweet spot in the middle where, of course, there's a balance between the challenges that we face and the skills that we have to meet those. And that really, that bandwidth is where we can learn and where we can grow and where our immune system works best and where basically longevity, I think, also is because, of course, that's where we function biologically as well as psychologically best. I'm, I'm wondering how this overlaps with what you've learned about these natural stages, because you've talked about a progression that roughly falls into these seven-year chunks of our life. Uh, I wouldn't have expected that necessarily either, but there's a lot of tradition out there about the seven-year itch kind of a thing, mm. where even in a relationship, you know, after about that period of time, we naturally as human beings are looking for what's next or how to, to advance to whatever stage is next for us. And I suppose it has something to do with as we, as we acquire skills and as we practice meeting our challenges, we increase our capacity to do so. Uh, it probably has something to do with that. Maybe I'm just speculating at this point, but <laughs> where does that land for you? How do you put that together? Maybe it's human development's way of saying you've got to keep it interesting, you know. So you've got to increase the challenges that you face so you're ready to take on a bigger life or a bigger world. And so part of that process, I think, is is growth, really. And so if you don't do that, I think we all know people or we've all met people who've decided to pretend that they never grow up. 
and uh, you know a 46 year old who's still acting like a 16 year old and uh, or a 26 year old and it's not always a pretty picture really it doesn't always end up very well so we do have to make adjustments as we go through life partly in order to basically develop ourselves further, but also to take on a different mantle of responsibility or a different challenge so that we keep growing as people. And that's true in a relationship, of course, as much as it is within ourselves. In fact, I would say that we can only be as healthy as our relationships, ultimately. I think psychology, and I don't know whether you'd agree with me, Dr. Paul, has been a very individualistic thinking around people, whereas really I think we all survive by the strengths or frailties of our relationships. I tend to agree with that, anxiety or to to the avoidance. I think the social support there is enormously important, but that was a little bit of Aussie wisdom that came in through the movie. (laughs) Yeah, so we all sort of, in a successful relationship, I guess we soothe one another, don't we? We kind of ease our way through life for one another, which is a lovely kind of function of social interaction, really. Right. But, you know, it, of course, in the Aussie form, having a couple of mates is a pretty handy thing. Absolutely. And, and probably puts you in a position where you can move through those stages, uh, yeah. those, those seven-year chunks of your life where – where you get to rethink and refigure and retool as you move forward. Um, I, I, I'm loving that. Uh, when we come back from this break, we're going to take a quick break. And then as we come back from this, I'd love to know a little bit more about what you discovered through the course of looking at all of this data and making these analyses about how we can apply that. I think we can get down to some good applications as well. Does that sound good to you? Sounds great. Let's do it. Awesome. Folks, we'll be right back. This is Andrew Fuller at Live On Purpose Radio. Are you ready to take your positivity to a whole new level? I've been enjoying these conversations with my guests at Live On Purpose Radio. My own story about becoming more positive is something that I've shared in my book, Pathological Positivity. And right now, I'm giving the book away. You just pay for the shipping. Go to drpauljenkins.com, spelled with a D-R, and click on the big orange button right there that will get you a free copy of my book. You pay the shipping, I'll pay for the book. Sound like a good deal? Power up your positivity and get ready to see phenomenal changes in your happiness, your relationships, your business, every aspect of life. Enjoy this free gift from me. DrPaulJenkins.com. And we're back. Andrew Fuller today at Live On Purpose Radio. I'm wondering if we should have retitled this particular episode, Two Shrinks and a Mic. (laughs) Good good idea. (laughs) We've got got a couple of psychologists coming at you today. Um, Andrew, you're... Your work that you've done to identify different stages uh, is intriguing to me. And I think understanding those stages is important. There's also some pitfalls that we run into from time to time. And we were chatting a little bit during the break about um, time bombs 
that come up in families or, uh, you know, some of the programming that's there in our culture, our heritage, that for sure is going to show up at some time. Tell us what, what you've noticed about that and what you might give us a heads up to. What, one of the things I learned from the 500,000 people that I uh, was able to spend time with mapping their lives was that when you're a baby and you're looking so cute and gurgling and basically in that bassinet or that cot or that crib or whatever you're in, you weren't just gurgling away looking cute. You are also studying with great, great uh, accuracy how life works, the scientist in the crib, really, that, that idea. And what you're absorbing, but because, of course, you were pre-verbal by that stage, you weren't that conscious of it, was at what age do you do particular things? So while you weren't particularly, uh, you didn't have your head around numbers, obviously number sense occurs fairly early on in development. And so clearly then you start to absorb patterns. So basically, in every family that I've come across, there are set points at which people's lives change. And basically, it might be the age at which you leave home or the age at which you form a relationship or the age at which you sometimes separate, uh, the age at which you have children, the age at which you kind of uh, retire, the age at which possibly you get frail. And so these time bombs or ancestral echoes play out. And so unless you take some time to bring them into your awareness, they just continue to roll on because they're unconsciously absorbed. And so not all of them are bad. In fact, some of them can be great opportunities in your life. So one of the ways to do this is to map your own life and then to map your parents' lives and look for times when there are overlaps or times when there are intriguing coincidences that basically occur. So let's talk about one just to clarify a little bit. So if we think about, do you mind if I if I use you as an example, Dr. Paul, if that's sure. okay? Bring it on. So basically, if I can ask you how old your father was when you were born, do you know that age? My father would have been 22, 23 years old. He was pretty Yeah. Was there an ex-child in the family or is there an ex-child in the family? So my parents had four kids in two and a half years. I have a brother. who is one year older than me. Yeah. Uh, so dad would have been 21 or 22 yeah. when he was born. I was born when he was 22, 23. Um, my twin sister was born 30 seconds after me. <laughs> and then I have a younger sister that was born a year and a half later. So your dad, when, when she was born, would have been, what, 23 and a half, 24? 24. Yeah. So if this fits, and it doesn't fit with every single life because you need to look more you know, at patterns across the yeah. lifespan, when you got to the age of 24, you probably changed your life in a fairly substantial way because what you'd observed as a baby is for your dad, life changed fairly substantially. Yeah. And so you did something that kind of shifted a gear in your life. Would that fit? Yeah, 
I would think so. Yeah. And so, and it could have been good or bad. We don't know. And by the looks of it, it was probably pretty good, um, which, which is great. Uh, so it's not it's not necessarily a, a deficit. It's more an opportunity for you than to rejig your life. And so if you start to look at these patterns, then you start to see opportunities and also threat points in your life, in your family's history. We all have them. We all inherit them because yeah. we all absorb them as babies. And so it's just starting to know that has a massive advantage over somebody who doesn't have that knowledge. You know, it's interesting that you uh, bring that up because I'm thinking about well, what was going on in my life at about that age when my dad had four babies as yeah. a very young parent. And what was going on in my life was I was just starting a PhD program in clinical psychology, which right. is a pretty major life decision to go into a PhD program. Yeah, so, I'm not sure it's equivalent of having four children, but um, it's, it's pretty high. <laughs> <laughs> and pretty I highly won demanding. when I started that program. <laughs> brave man, brave man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's fascinating. I and I, I love those words that you used. Can I let me just see if I remember them? Ancestral echoes and family time bombs. Yes. Did I get that correct? That, that's right. So some of them are ancestral echoes, where they're just things that the family have done for generations, sometimes after generation, which is interesting. And we start to consider be consciously aware of those, right? But you're saying that becoming more aware of the patterns and those ancestral echoes or the family time bombs, being more aware of it puts us in a position where we can be more intentional about it to actually maybe avoid some of the pitfalls that are likely to come with the transitions. That's right. So we know that the bandwidth of human awareness is incredibly narrow, really. So of all of the sensations that are currently bombarding your sensory system, which is estimated at about 11,201,000 every second bits of information, you're consciously processing 77 of them, which is a <laughs> That's pretty, nar pretty narrow bit. Right? So one of the ways of thinking about it, Dr. Paul, is you haven't been in touch with reality for years, you know, um, <laughs> ever. <laughs> or ever. Right. That's, that's, that's right. And so <laughs> all the time. And so where does all the rest of that information go is your unconscious. And it doesn't just sit there. It plays out in your life in different ways, in your dreams, but also in patterns of life. And starting to get a little glimpse of it, as I said before, has a massive advantage over somebody who's got no idea that this is going on. Awareness, which even when we approach it consciously and intentionally, is still going to be fairly small because we cannot possibly pick up on all of it and much of it is hidden from our view. But the little awareness that we can gain can put us in a position to, well, as we say on this, this particular program, live on purpose rather than having right. to push us around. So just taking the time to reflect on your life, to take stock of, you know, some of the patterns of your life and gives you a massive advantage because you're, you're suddenly being intentional 
about your life and what phase of life you're in and what might that particular stage of life require of you? Mm. That's, that's a fascinating concept to me. I'm, I'm, I'm still thinking through uh, just what you walked me through a moment ago as I was thinking about my own parents and their life pattern. Uh, look at mine and how things might mirror or, or reflect or um, be similar to those patterns that come up from the past. And there were generations before them. And we program each successive generation before they're even able to talk. That's right. So humans have been doing this thing called human life for a long time now. So it's hardly surprising that they've got a few patterns about it, I think. Mm-hmm. And I guess that, I mean, in some ways you can sit there and think, well, this my life is my own creation. And that's nice, but maybe it's not entirely. Maybe there are patterns that drive some of your decisions that you're not really in tune with. And that becomes part of the mystery of life, really, to unravel. Which is fun for you, Andrew, because you've studied this and part of your job is to bring that to the awareness. Uh, Isn't isn't that great? Psychology gives you the permission to study this great thing called human life. It's fantastic. And we're studying it both in observing it, but also in participating. (laughs) That's that's right. We're locked in it ourselves. Um, Andrew, your book, Your Best Life at Any Age, uh, breaks down these stages in a way that you're able to to show what you've seen from the analyses that you've done with half a million people. Um, talk to us just a little bit about the book and what people are going to get from a practical standpoint as they as they connect with what you've shared there. So different stages of life, and I'll be brief about it but at the same time it's interesting to consider what they might be so let's talk about say 29 to 35 which is a really interesting phase of life often people flounder around in their 20s trying to get a grasp a grip on what to do with their lives and then by about 29 they start to really think well this is where the way i'm going to go and so they solve a problem by working out a mission but one mission and I ended up calling this phase of life the Napoleon years. It's a bit like Napoleon trotting off to Moscow, not doing terribly well and having to return. Um, so things don't always work out as well as they should. But at the same time, you have this mission. And then you realize by about the age of 35, you're bigger than that. You need to be bigger than one particular calling. And so people between 36 and 42 often build up uh, they take on promotions, they renovate houses, they buy houses, they start businesses, conversation changes, and, and things are, are quite dynamic during that phase of life. The subsequent phase, 42 to 49, is fascinating, and partly because of the way that it ends. The famous psychologist Carl Jung once said that more people into therapy at the age of 49 than in the other age, and I think he's probably right. And part of the reason that he's right is because at 49, you often look in the mirror and go, where did I go? What happened to me? Because you've been so busy, so industrious, caring for ages. What do I have to show for all of this? (laughs) 
That's right. That's that big question, isn't it? And so people are just that phase between 42 and 49. I ended up calling the holding the tiger by the tail phase of life. It's almost like you've got this gigantic tiger and you're hanging onto it with grim determination because if you let go of it, it's going to bite you big time. That's your career, your family, raising children. It's just all going on. And of course, during that time, people grow a lot. And generally, I mean, you know, I don't want to be too binary about it, but women women often grow faster than men in that, that time. So often there's a bit of a kind of mismatch in relationships by the end of the 40s. And that just is an amazing kind of thing to understand and see, see as you go through it what's happening for you. Wow. And there's stages, obviously, starting from birth and going clear up through the higher end of where, however long we think we're going to live, and we don't know for sure. That's right. Uh, these stages have been fairly predictable, and, and it's fascinating to me that that's the case. You've outlined these in, in your book. Um, you've also got a website. Let's make sure people know where to find you. This, um, Folks, this is Andrew Fuller, and that's spelled the way you would guess, um, two L's in Fuller dot com dot a u remember his accent and you'll remember the a u <laughs> that's, that's the Aussie part that's the Australian uh, suffix on on a website so andrewfuller.com dot a u that's where you can get to Andrew um, and then your book obviously Andrew is available on Amazon or or wherever people get their their books. Uh, so they can connect with you there. We'll put a link in the show notes as well. Um, thank you so much for sharing this little bit of wisdom with us today. I know the time always goes very quickly when we're having fun. Uh, and I've had fun. This has been a fun <laughs> conversation for me. Thank you for your contributions here today. Thank you. And thank you for allowing people to participate in a really thoughtful discussion about life. I think it's fantastic. Thanks, Dr. Paul. I hope that gets everybody else's thinking going. And as you're listening to this, it's time now for you to go apply something that you've learned here today. It's time to live on purpose. <laughs>